0: Just wash it all wash it all, wait, 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 wait. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, double agents and saboteurs, welcome to the Movie Board, the Movie Autopsy Podcast. I'm your host, Silvio Emery.
2: And I'm Annie Neller.
1: And returning with us once again, friend of the show, John Donahue. I'm out of the basement now. You know what? I, this was a mistake, get back. Alright, so today <laughs> we're gonna be covering Red Sparrow, the 2018 spy thriller, and okay, look. I promised we'd do something lighter this week, and I lied. I'm so fucking sorry, but we didn't know what we were getting into with this one, and I don't control the film release schedule. Red Sparrow is a very good film that is very difficult to watch or even recommend. Did we like it? Kind of. Was it good? Yes. Should you watch it? I can't answer that for you. Uh, What I can say is this. The film and our dissection thereof is going to deal very closely with themes of sexualized violence sexual and psychological manipulation torture bodily injury and trauma the film is absolutely not for everyone and i'm not even sure that i want to watch it again this one is harsh and i know we said that last week that we'd have something lighter this week but uh it wasn't marketed very well so this one's really visceral and kind of heavy so open with care uh that being said uh I guess let's just say, what did we think of this movie before we get into anything? Because context is going to be more of a thing. But this is, I think, a little something we can do before we jump into spoilers.
0: I, okay, so I think I ultimately did enjoy the enjoy the film. I might not go see it again, because it was, as you say, quite a lot. There's a lot going on in this, and um, I don't really know if it's something I I would go want to go through again but like also i'm kind of here for all that spy shit I, as you can tell given that most some of the movies i've been on for this podcast have been about spy shit i think about half of them now
2: yes about 50 <sighs> percent.
0: yeah
1: well i don't know if you want to count transformers that had some vague spy
2: was Cogman to see? I Cogman mean Cogman could've
1: been a spy. <laughs> what about you, Annie? What did you dig this movie?
2: Um, you know, I can't really say that I liked it. What I will say is that I think I saw some really amazing performances from actors in this movie. I think this movie is doing something really important for the spy genre. But ultimately I, I found this movie to be really kinda like traumatizing for me, at least personally. So Like, I I posted something on Facebook to other friends who were going to go and see it just to let them know, you know, like, the way that this was marketed was kind of as an Atomic Blonde-esque type spy movie, and that is not what it is and what it's doing, so.
1: How about you, though, Doc? So, okay, for this one, I have complicated feelings about this movie. Uh, I put it very much in the kind of category of, and this is my go-to example, Requiem for a Dream, where it is a very good film, I think, uh, by, I guess as close as you could call to an objective measure. I like, I think everything about it. I think it's daring. I think it's Mm -hmm. provocative. I think it's very striking, but I'm not sure that it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And sometimes art is difficult to consume, uh... I do think I want to see this again just for the fact that I want to kind of digest the procedural spy thriller aspects of it, but I think I'm gonna wait until it's out on d v d or something because one thing is this was really hard to watch on a big screen to like yes. really
0: fill your senses like that very oh very hard yeah,
2: very difficult to watch.
0: I saw this on I saw this in
2: oh IMAX. God John really yeah. oh, okay,
1: yeah. And that's the other thing is, uh, I've looked at the reviews a little bit. I haven't gotten too in-depth in because I want to have this conversation between us before I really open it up to the media. But this film seems very polarizing. And what I've seen from like the brief little snippets that I have peeked at is that people aren't condemning the filmmaking so much as they're, I think, condemning the film as a whole, as being a kind of abhorrent thing. It's, it's very polarizing. I'm not seeing anyone going it's okay, or it's not great. I'm seeing a lot of people either going, this is the incredible movie of the year, or I'm seeing a lot of people going, this movie is disgusting. You know? It, it, there doesn't seem to really be a middle ground. Which, I guess, is why it's on, like, what was it, 64 on Rotten Tomatoes right now? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... as good. So let's let's talk about context as this movie. Because, first of all, let's talk about the advertising. What did we expect going into this? Because... I
0: What I expected was not the film I got. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what I was expecting out of this. I wasn't expecting it to get as uh, intense as it gets, though.
2: To be honest, I kind of thought that this was going to be a film in which Jennifer Lawrence basically engages in, like, BDSM play, like, as an espionage tactic, based on what I saw in the trailer.
1: Yeah, I mean they did really like putting that wander bondage scene in there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, for me, there, there's a couple things I was expecting. Uh, one, I was actually kind of expecting this movie to be kind of bad. Uh, just based on the whole idea of oh, Russian spy ballerinas. We're gonna have some fucking bullshit about the waifishness and fragility of beauty. I don't ever. <laughs> uh, we didn't get that. No. Nope. Uh, the second thing is kind of the mimetic kind of, uh, like joke about this being, like, the Black Widow movie that they wouldn't make, and there's some element of truth of that, but also, like, this is a fucked up Black Widow movie? Like, this is, like, Aronofsky's Black Widow.
2: Yeah, 100%. And yeah. actually,
1: that's some stuff that we discovered kind of after the fact. I don't think there was a good way to market this film. No, it um, wasn't. But um, apparently Aronofsky was actually in talks to direct this. Yeah. And I did not actually know this until uh, we did some research after the fact, but this is in fact based on a trilogy of books, uh, the Red Sparrow trilogy by, uh, by Jason Matthews, So, um, and who is a former CIA operative. So, like, you know, knowing that, I would have expected something very different. Uh, I was expecting the espionage to be more of like a Dan Brown level. And to be have it be more you know titillating and vivacious and like you know focus on the sexuality and in a way it's very focused on the sexuality but not in the way that we were expecting at all. This is not your typical Hollywood fair, and that's kind of like there is no way to market that kind of thing. There no, just really isn't. Yeah. There isn't
2: because, like, really, if you think about how many movies, like, how many spy movies specifically have come out, like, we've got Kingsman, which is a meta commentary on the spy genre. We have James Bond, Jason Bourne. We just have, like, these countless spy dramas that have really kind of overdetermined how the public thinks about espionage. So, pretty much the only way to advertise this movie is to play into that. Oh,
1: uh, of... John, John, John. Yeah. Who, who, was the gu- who was the guy who said my... Oh, no, no, you know what? The, I, I'm kind of reminded of uh, Zack Snyder a little bit. Just because, like, I feel like this is Zack Snyder's Jason Bourne. Because, you know, you remember, he said that. He's like, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, in my world, uh, Superman could get raped.
0: No, it was Batman. Bat- Bat- uh, oh. his, his specific uh, thing was that... Uh, Oh, you think Batman's parents getting killed is dark? Well, in my world, Batman could get raped. Is that what yeah. Zack
2: Snyder really said?
0: That yeah. That is a thing Zack Snyder said.
2: Yeah, I don't think that Zack Snyder has the same level of talent that Francis Lawrence has. So,
1: shame let, Zack let, Let's Snyder. not get, Shane. let's not, we're already gonna, <laughs> this is, Two weeks in a row, we're talking about Aronofsky. Let's not get into fucking no, Snyder. We'll be here all not. fucking day. Yeah, we'll be stuck. Okay. Yeah. So what? What is? Uh, what is Red Sparrow? I almost said Black Swan. It's fucking <laughs> birds and colors oh, and no. ah!
0: Damn you, Aronofsky. We 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 all know that we're all we 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 all had a great time watching Violet Nightingale. John, you absolutely would
1: watch a movie called Violet Nightingale. Don't fuck with me here. I mean, I would.
2: (laughs) I think that would be pretty amazing. Uh,
0: Okay. I do remember a really good kung fu movie I watched once called Silver Hawk. (laughs) That sounds dope, yo. Okay. So, what is... (laughs) What is Red Sparrow? Like, what is this movie?
1: Because, like, it's kind of hard to pin it down. It is, I think, it's a spy movie in a way that we really don't formulate spy movies at all it's a very I, i'd say a tense psychosexual thriller is probably the closest thing i could describe it to in terms of filmic genre
2: but i think that thriller makes it sound like there's a resolution this really is I mean, more of a tragedy
0: kind of it there kind of is a resolution S- sort, sort of. of there's a resolution to a conflict
2: yeah, I don't know. I I think this is more of like a a spy tragedy really. Like this movie doesn't shy away from the ugly things that happen to spies, especially to women spies. Uh so like it, it's not the same romanticized vision of espionage that we would say find in James Bond or again, even in Bourne novels. So it's just, it's doing something different. It's not necessarily a deconstruction of the spy genre, but I do think it's talking about sexuality very explicitly.
0: Oh, absolutely. It sure doesn't pull any punches. No,
2: it really doesn't.
0: (laughs) No,
1: no, 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 it does not. And the other thing, actually, is this is... Like, this movie is very much tied to Jennifer Lawrence, and in a way, it's kind of, like, Annie, we talked about this a bit last night. Yeah. And it's kind of like a reclamation of body, almost, in a way.
2: Yeah, after um, the incident that happened last year that people were terming the fappening, where a lot of the nudes that actresses had made got snatched down from the cloud and essentially disseminated out on the internet. Yeah. It does seem to be Jennifer Lawrence reclaiming um, her sexual agency, I guess we would call it, to a certain extent, as an actress. Not as the character. But
1: as an actress. This is one of those things where it's kind of complicated to delineate between uh, the filmmaking process and the film that is the result thereof. Because like, I've seen many, not many, like, I haven't gotten in depth of it, but I've seen a lot of people call this out as being, like, this really disgusting film for the kinds of things that are done to the main character, and so on and so forth, and, like, I'm not going to disagree with those arguments, but,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, this this is very much a Jennifer Lawrence vehicle of a film. Like, at least in, like, I know it's based on a book that sold well and won some awards, And there's also some other high-level talent in it. But ultimately, with how it's marketing and the way that this film exists as a commercial product, it is a Jennifer Lawrence vehicle.
2: It is, which I think still makes it interesting, too, because a lot of the sexual situations that she is in in this film, it is difficult for the viewer to take pleasure in watching them. And that's an interesting choice to me.
1: Yeah, so let's actually, let's get mechanical for a minute, and let's okay. talk about what, because what, I think uh, we seem to have a consensus here that this film was very well made, and I want to break into, like, what were the good choices, what worked well for it, and if anything, I guess, didn't work. So, first thing I'm going to talk about, though, is just a sequence, because I want to call out this fucking sequence, is, this is where I put my popcorn down and said, okay, this is this is not the movie I was expecting, this might be something a little special, was everything before the title card Mm
0: -hmm. there's this
1: long sequence where uh dominica is uh played by jennifer lawrence is preparing to dance at a ballet there's this sequence of you know a russian oligarch being like hey let me touch your butt because i'm entitled to all your shit and it's crossed over with nate nash played by joel edgerton uh doing an information trade-off and doing some spy work And the music is really dissonant and creepy and, you know, kind of almost morose, but not quite. It's, it's that kind of like old, it's operatic in that it's, it's this huge melodrama that's swelling and moving with the piece and there's a dance and it all builds up. It builds and it builds and it builds to a a male ballerina jumping on her leg. And there's that snap, and that moment just hurts. Like, I I, I, the, I I am very sensitive to breaks. I've never broken a bone in my body, but like it it, it it just it upsets me. Uh between this and the recent adaptation of it, like those are probably my top two breaks in film because those just hurt. And that's when it's like, okay, this is not, this isn't, spies are not fun. Spies are not fun. Oh God, no.
2: Yeah. And I think also what I really liked about that sequence is, um, juxtaposing a ballerina, this dancer that has historically been presented as kind of like this feminine ideal with a male spy doing his work suggests that those two forms of work, uh, require, a kind of discipline and training um, and there's risk involved in both of them and so I, I think that was a kind of a cool way to set things up and I loved also that the pacing changed with the music to really kind of rev things up like you knew something bad was going to happen but uh, because the music was kind of telling you that it was and so it was so were the cuts but yeah you weren't quite sure what was going to happen until that yeah. snap
1: and I'd have to rewatch it to be sure. But one thing that stands out to me in particular is also how graceful the male dancer is. Mm. Because I feel like he has it's just this really beautiful arc through the air onto her leg. Yeah. And like, I, I, again, I'd have to rewatch it to be sure and to like really comment on that. But the way this lives in my mind, that is absolutely a piece of the art there. Um, do we have any other particularly uh, memorable sequences we wanted to talk about?
0: um i i i like i don't think it's as like notable as the one at the beginning, but I really liked the framing of the exchange at the end of the movie oh that was pretty yeah cool. yeah
2: in terms of like, like the i don't visuals? think there's anything.
0: Yeah, like visually, it was pretty. It was really well put together. It like it it was just really solid. I don't think there's anything that was like any small detail that was super like stunning about it. But I think it was just super well put together.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Definitely. How um about you, Annie? I think the scene that I would pick, <laughs> the one that I would pick, is actually one of the more disturbing ones. Um, so there's a sequence that happens before this one that you kind of need to know about. Basically, um, Dominica is shipped off to a spy school where they train the spies in techniques and seduction. And one of Dominica's schoolmates attempts to rape her in the shower and she beats him up. So the matron of the school, um requests or I should say rather orders Dominica to reenact the rape in front of a class of students and um, essentially what she ends up doing is stripping down entirely and presenting her body to this guy and it kind of reveals to us this guy can't sexually perform because she's taken power over him through the use of her body in that way. I, I really like the way that that scene is framed. It's That is a hard scene to film um, because there's questions there about what you do with your actress's body. Like, how do you film a, a nude scene like that for an actress in a way that's not going to be incredibly exploitative? And I, I think that they did that very well, but they also did it in a way that really kind of lets her body and the way that she's using it take precedence in that scene so despite it being really disturbing that was actually one of my favorite scenes in particular because of the way that it's framed and because of the way that it's acted as well
1: absolutely um one thing that kind of jumps out at me is first of all charlotte rampling as the matron is incredible
2: terrifying. She is terrifying. Uh, yeah,
0: she's so scary. I, I would
1: put her up there with Kathy Bates in terms of female villains on screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, she is just absolutely terrifying. And that, if if you didn't bring her up, I would have. Yeah. Uh, because the entire Sparrow School sequence, and it's it's a segment of the film, it's not really a sequence, but the, in particular, anything in that central room is just beautifully framed because you have her as this kind of focus of power in the center of the room and she dominates that space which is very very symmetrical there's all these amazing shots you know of the front desk head on with i don't know a student either side or a subject or you know with the focus moving between a screen and another object and it's incredible but uh in particular a sequence i want to call a particular attention to is there is a there is a another uh, there is another student at the there's another student at the Sparrow School named Anya played by Sasha Fro- Frolova sorry played by Sasha Frolova and she is presented first of all uh part of the sequence is that they introduce this concept that's not really expounded on it's just alluded to and allowed to be part of the background of the film where there are different kinds of sexual appeal you know uh, they're training men and women Uh, they're training them in heterosexual and homosexual seduction. And Anya is presented as this kind of, you know, small, mousy, you know, more homely girl. And that's kind of her appeal. But she's also revealed to have, you know, some prejudice. Uh, a, A suspect is called into question, like, what does this man want? He is a deviant, you know. And he's brought in, he's brought in, and the matron instructs, Anya to fillet him to recreate to be a boy from and the, the whole sequence is such an exchange of power and such a crushing moment for her and there's it's not even it's not even done to completion it's just said we will do this again until you get it right it's so it's so fucked up and it's just like i i don't even have i think really like, a thesis for what I want to talk about what this scene is and what it does. It's just... It it strikes me in my mind, and it's just... It stays there.
0: Um, One thing that I think that scene does is it sort of illustrates the school's purpose. And... um, So one of the things that the matron says a lot is that everyone is a puzzle of need, and you need to figure out what people want and become that to get what you want out of them. Uh, And in a way, I feel like what the purpose of the school is, is to, rather than, like, in addition to training the Sparrows to find it and exploit it, fill the hole in their metaphorical puzzles with loyalty to the state.
1: Yes. Um, There's also, I have an addenda to that, um, is immediately following that, because... Um, the matron pulls her up and then molests her in front of the class to illustrate her, the ability to, uh, to induce arousal by physiological manipulation and kind of deconstructing arousal as not being a purely mental state. And it's just such a, like, it's such a violation of a moment. Like, th- this is, I think, kind of, and I think that's kind of what... I think stands out to me about this film is it is brilliant at what it does but what it does hurts well
2: because i think it's exploring different forms of sexual exploitation and violence that we don't necessarily have the language to even talk about so like for instance um forcing somebody to become aroused against their will like that's essentially what she's doing in that situation um there's other stuff too like for instance how quickly the sexual assaults take place um i oh God, i think, yeah. yeah um it in this case there's a kind of desire to portray sexual violence in a way that addresses these issues that we don't have the the words to talk about so we're doing this through images because we can't really fully even and talk about them as a culture
1: i mean not only the way this film handles sexual violence but the way this film handles violence in general is very yeah. it's very strong it's very striking <laughs> but uh in particular what i want to call attention to is the knife fight with the russian stig and you guys know exactly who i'm referring to yes I we it. do oh, yes, yes we do um but violence in this film is very quick very brutal and this is not like you know your bond style fun spy movie there's no kung fu action there's no cool gadgets it's but and it's clumsy and it's slippery and it's messy that fight everyone gets fucked up in that fight oh
2: yeah absolutely
1: everyone because that that is that is the thing about a knife fight is you know, in self-defense, they don't teach you, you know, oh, here's how you grab the knife from the guy, and here's this cool move you can do to disable it. They, wh- what they teach you in knife fighting is, you will get cut. Cut them first. Yeah. It's like, there there is no way, even, like, you know, the only da- more thing more dangerous than an expert with a knife is an amateur with a knife.
2: Uh. Yeah.
0: And... All of those cuts are just very, they're very visceral, even if, like, none of them, like, feel super deep in the way that you'd normally see, like, uh, like a significant hit with a knife like in a film. A, in a film.
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, like, nobody gets, like, a solid stab in, you don't have one of those scenes where, like, somebody, like, sinks the knife in, like, halfway to, like, half the blade and, like, slowly starts dragging it through them or something like that. It's just like a, a quick like slice, and then somebody's bleeding pretty badly. And,
1: like... and the whole thing goes to the ground. Um, that is one thing we see a lot in cinematography, is we don't like going to the ground. First of all, mm-hmm. because it's more difficult to film. Yeah. And second of all, because it's, I think, considered to be kind of an undignified way to fight in film. Yes. is it's, It implies a loss of control. And in general, whenever we're creating film, a lot of times we like to have a protagonist and we like to empower them. So to have them go to ground is either it has to be a moment where they're losing, and in a knife fight, you're going to fucking die if you're on the ground. But also, that it goes hand in hand with injury and with realism, and we love violence as a society. We love it, but we hate consequence, and we hate blood, and we hate suffering, and to have a fight go to the ground is to have that fight be prolonged and to be injurious, I guess, what's the word It's abuse. to make it intimate,
2: and, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we hate intimacy with violence. Oh, yeah. We love, like, I, I teach kids animation, and they always want to watch, like, you know, uh, watch these cool fight scenes and go to these YouTube channels where animators just animate really cool, wild fight for choreography. And they love that. But I show them, you know... A very good, really well choreographed fight with a single cut of blood, and they get squeamish. Like we don't like consequence to our violence, right? And that's I think what strikes out more.
2: All about though,
1: yeah, it's actually very much I think in the vein of like not so much the later ones, but I think very much in the vein of Casino Royale, the whole kind of let's let's be gritty, let's. Injure Bond. Let's let's hit him in the fucking balls. Let's make him hurt. Let's make him bleed. That's kind of the style of violence that we have in this film. We have a garroting. I think is our not not our first act of violence, uh, but one of the early espionage acts of violence. And it's not just that you know he strangles like, uh, yeah, but blood pours from his neck onto Jennifer Lawrence who is underneath him. It's fucked up. All the violence in this movie is fucked up. There's no easy shots. Even, like, when uh, the uncle is shot... uh, When the uncle is shot in the head, that's... Like, it's a messy headshot. Generally speaking, in film, headshots are clean. This is not.
0: I think that might be, like, the fastest violence we even see, because, like... Even like the garrotting, like it feels like it takes forever, even though it probably doesn't take that long, but like it feels significant.
2: It does feel significant, and also like in that scene where this guy is being garroted on top of Jennifer Lawrence, he's not just on top of her; he's inside her. Like he is. This is taking place during an act of rape, which I think. So uh, we see him being garotted from her perspective, and I think that's part of what makes that scene so hard to take and makes it feel like it's just taking forever for him to die so that she can get away, um, is the way that they use the camera angle there.
0: And even then, she doesn't really get away Mm-mm. in like, a traditional sense. No, she doesn't.
2: Um, that's basically the initiating act that gets her um, this is the thing that she sees that she is not supposed to have seen that makes her uncle place her in a school for spies
1: yes Um, in particular what i think is interesting about the scene now that we're talking about now that i'm thinking about it is kind of the sequence that occurs immediately after Because this violence occurs, uh, we are subjected to it, she is subjected to it, she witnesses it, and she survives. But immediately, her only exit, her only exit is through the permission of Russian Stig. Uh, You know, he guides her out, he leads her to grab her things, he drives her off to the, you know, debriefing. But from that point on, Uh, Her only other option was maybe to exit through the front door and the bodyguards and to be in a whole shitload of trouble.
2: Oh, yeah, but to have to get on a bicycle... Sorry, not a bicycle. That makes it sound ridiculous. A motorcycle? (laughs) A motorcycle with a guy who's got a helmet on whose face you can't see who just garroted someone. um, What the fuck? Yeah.
0: Also she she has just recovered from a, a horrifying leg injury. She's yeah. been walking around in heels for a while.
2: And her uncle kind um, of set up this entire situation to take place, which is Yeah. And he basically kind of admits in the subsequent scene that he sort of knew something like this might happen. Is that oh, was yeah. that right?
1: Kind of. Did I read yeah. That? It's it's ambiguous, um, but honestly, like, I,
0: I'm pretty sure he was gonna kill him anyways, because... I mean, he sort of implies that he hadn't planned on doing it, but he was given an opportunity because she got the guards to leave the room.
2: Oh, I see. Okay.
0: that was That was my read on it, and then he, like, told her that he had planned on it the whole time, which, I mean... He could be lying to either one of these people because he's a fu- he's he's a fucking spy. He is, yeah,
1: yeah. Also, I just want to comment how much um, Matthias Schonertz, is yeah. that how I say that? Uh huh. Matthias Schonertz uh, playing uh, Vanya Egorov the uncle. How th- fucking Putin like he looks. Holy
2: shit. So so Putiny.
1: He's also a huge piece of shit. Yeah. Um. Just a, re- a great way. a recommendation for Francis Lawrence. <laughs> Stay out
0: of the Eastern block for like oh, the yeah. rest of your life. Yep. Just yeah. Also, don't don't drink any any polonium, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, please stay no. away from polonium. That's
0: that's that's, that's not going to end well for you, buddy.
1: So, uh, the other thing I want to talk about uh, is, and this is, I think, starting to verge into deep cuts a little bit. Was there anything else mechanical we really wanted to get into real fast?
0: Uh. I go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think so. so.
2: Mechanical, uh... Did we want to talk about the torture sequence?
0: Um, I... I, Which one? Do we want (laughs) to...
2: Oh, I Uh, mean, all of it is, but... (laughs) I
1: I think that's more interesting thematically than it is in terms of filmmaking. Okay. Uh, But what I I do want to talk about briefly is Jennifer Lawrence's performance, because that is as much thematic as it is mechanical. And it's also Um,
2: been the center of a lot of critique about this film, so... Yeah. Yeah, so what do you want to say about that?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I want to ask around. Like, what do you guys think? Like, how do you guys think she performed in
0: this film? Like, how well? How good is the role of Dominika Egorova? Ah, boy, I, I think she did a she did a good. I, I think she did a good job. But also, I'm in the position where I'm a straight white dude who most of the issues that are affecting her life have never and will never be a problem for me. So it will probably be informed by that. And if I'm wrong, it's because I'm dumb. So. <laughs> I'm going to admit that up front.
2: No, I I kind of agree with you, John. Um I her accent was a little eh but um
0: it was a little much. The
2: yeah. emotional beats yeah. for me were what got me through her performance and were what made me think like this is actually a pretty solid performance. I know that for a lot of critics There were some people who actually even commented on the IMDB page that said her accent was so horrible I just left the theater. Um, That is not (laughs) my perspective at all. I think her accent's only okay, but it's the way that she carries us through these scenes with these emotional beats that I really found kind of profound in some places. Doc, what did you think of this, though? Because you brought this up. so... So you clearly have an idea about it.
1: Okay. Um, I think, I think first of all, I think she performed very well. Um, the accent, I think, is a little bit wooden, but also it kind of plays a little bit into the aesthetic of the film. Um, she's very much presented as this kind of emotional cipher. And I think it's kind of interesting because I think there is a character arc where she goes from a girl to a spy. Yeah. And as we travel doing that in, first she sounds uh, not stilted but awkward you know she sounds unsure she sounds ki- she kind of you know nervous and like cuz she's presenting these situations where you know oh she's under pressure because the you know the live ner- the nurse is late and she has to get to her big performance or you know uh there's this big time russian arts donor who's touching her ass And she's very much, I think, overwhelmed. And, you know, the accent, I think, like, the, 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 I I think it would not really work to have her accent be too smooth there. And later on in the film, she kind of gets to the point where she's just this emotional cipher. So I think it kind of, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that her accent doesn't work from a performance standpoint, but I think the film took advantage of that, or at least it got away with it. Um, but regarding her performance in particular, um, she actually displays a huge amount of range in this. Massive. She's vulnerable. Massive. She's controlling. She's powerful. She's desperate. She's many things. And also, like, a, also, straight cis dude, well, oh, ish. Yes. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's going to get, let's not get into ish. that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but um, here's the thing I am not a woman and to display and use your body in such a way in filmmaking I think is very daring yeah. and very difficult yep. and so I have to at least give a commendation for that whether or not I think it was successful and that I think it worked for the film which I think it did by the way um, that is it's, it's a bold step to take and I have to commend that
2: yeah um, one other thing that I wanted to mention is there's a scene where um, Domenica is standing outside of Nate Nash's apartment and she this is in uh, sort of like the latter third of the movie where she's trying to draw Nash um, into basically like an emotional relationship because that's what she thinks she, that he needs um and on command she is able to cry and um one of the things that I really liked about that scene is that previously in the movie she has this one line where she basically says that the old Dominica is gone and that she is a new person so that kind of fits with what Doc is saying about her going from girl to spy there definitely is that transition but um she is able to tap into her emotions with such immediacy in that scene to summon this kind of like deep sadness that is like kind of roiling under the surface for her as a character i was just it's a really subtle and easy to miss moment and i was just so impressed by it
1: um so Another thing, I, and I, I think I'm gonna go into deep cuts here, yeah, uh, because I wanted to get into thematics a little bit, and this was a very powerful moment for me, and I think kind of defined this as not being the "Oh woe is me, poor exploited, forced into spyhood" kind of movie was when she assaults her rival at the ballet academy, or I, I not ballet company, I guess would be the word, um, because. I had certain expectations going to this film. And this idea that, you know, she was a ballerina that was injured and would be forced to become a spy, that was kind of set in my mind from the beginning. And I had expectations of it being very much about a deprivation of agency and it being this great tragedy that uh, she could have been a ballerina, but now she has to be a whore, you know? But when she goes in there... and. Her uncle facilitates her. She is absolutely, to a large degree, manipulated into this situation. But ultimately, she is given the tools. She is given the information. And it is her decision to go in there and beat the shit out of them. And there is an anger in that moment that is a moment of agency for her as a character. And ultimately, it is a tragedy. And she is very much, I think, without... Complete choice without an informed choice, at least. But there is an element of choice into how she gets into that life, and that's
2: yeah, that's complicated. I don't know where I'm going with it. No, it's, it's complicated. It I, I don't
1: know where I'm going with I think
2: this. that's so interesting, though. Like, she is a very complex character, and I think that's also what why I partly think of this as a kind of like spy tragedy as well because there are moments where she's given this kind of fiction of agency right that's what that moment with her and this dancer that she was involved with who was clearly having an affair with another woman with her uncle enabling her to have this information he's given her a choice right he's given her this sort of like choice she can either do something with it or do nothing with it right that's not really actually much of a choice or not much of two choices it's just two options and i i think that's part of the tragedy of dominica like she she chooses to do that and this is kind of partly what contributes to her getting stuck in this life but there's other stuff that's also you're right like she's manipulated into doing so much of this and and that's what makes it tragic is that there is something about her that is very strong too John, were you going to say something?
0: Uh, I was going to say that, I mean, I don't even think it really was a choice. Because she talks about how, like, her entire life, she has wanted to be a dancer in this way. And also, like, her entire living situation, her ability to care for her incredibly sick mother, is based on her ability as a ballerina. And then... This dude took that from her because he wanted his girlfriend to get the role. So, like, I mean, I have, yeah, like that, that's, uh, she was in a place and he, like this dude was just like, hey, I don't know what you're going to do to the person who has destroyed everything you, you love, but uh that happened. That was done with to you with intentionality. These are the people who did it. Uh, Here is but, proof. But hey, here's proof. But hey. Do with that what you will. I'm not involved in this anymore. Later. It's like, yeah, I
1: I I didn't kill him. I just put him in a room full of deadly traps. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, Jigsaw. <laughs>
1: Actually, I think you'll find it's not the jigsaw killer, it's the jigsaw trapper rumor. Oh, God.
0: I, I hate them. Oh. <sighs> oh, God I don't know why, but the way you said that made me imagine Jigsaw as a sobsit, and now I hate it. <laughs> oh no.
1: I think that you'll
0: find that this trap has
1: a golden fringe. <laughs> this is an <laughs> admiralty death trap. Oh, this trap will not kill me because I am not a boat.
2: You nerds. <laughs> You utter nerds.
1: Okay. Well, we need a little bit of I, Oh, no. In this one. this one's no, not...
2: trust me. I yeah. definitely get it. Like, this movie made me, like, hardcore cry in my car afterward. Um, so, one of the yeah. other things that's being critiqued fairly heavily is the chemistry between Joel Edgerton and Jennifer Lawrence. Did you guys feel like there was actual chemistry, or how did you view their relationship
1: in
0: the movie? I'm going to let John take this one first. Um,. So, I feel like there was what jo- what what Nate would consider chemistry, but I feel like given the full picture of what we know about her character, I don't know how like how authentic that was or how much of an act it was being put on by her for the purp- for for him to get him to do what she needs him to.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in agreement there because w- when I look at this when I think about this film and I think of the moments between them, they don't have chemistry and that's a good thing because she is he is being had. Yep. He is being had so bad. She is using his ass and like he's he's the wide wide-eyed blue-eyed idealist and that comes back to bite him in the ass. And Like, that works for me because the whole thing about her character is she's kind of hollowed out and filled with whatever she needs to succeed and move forwards in the spy game. So there is no room for a person to be left in there to fall in love or to have this genuine emotional connection. There's only the game. So for there to not be any chemistry and for the romance to go on ahead anyways is, I think, like... A really good like it I don't know what to call it it's I, it's just it works for
2: again me. it's one of these things where the images and the story that we see in front of us is doing the work that language can't do right um and I I really sort of agree with that like I'm not sure that I see there being very much chemistry between Lawrence and Edgerton at times uh hard to believe cuz they're both very attractive but that seems to be deliberate to from what we see in this movie uh and also doc from what you were just explaining like there's a kind of ambiguity to their relationship about whether she actually cares about him as much or even what to term their relationship in general that i i found really interesting
1: i think also we need to look at the framing of how certain things happen. Because uh, in particular, uh, she follows him for a bit, and he's aware of that. He's a spy. He knows he's being tailed. But there is a first meeting, quote-unquote, at the swimming pool. And this is part of why I made the comment when we were talking about this last night, uh, where I don't think Joel Egerton is that handsome.
2: I don't know why. And I, th- I, I think you're just prejudiced. Well, <laughs> you just hate well, Joel Egerton. No.
1: no, well, that, that's... the. Damn dirty, John. Orcs. John, no, can you but, weigh in on this, please? Can can I can I, I finish? my don't know. My
2: here?
1: No, you don't have you, thoughts. No, you don't get to finish. Them. No, okay. So here's the thing, though. Um, the way he's presented is in as as particular in this scene where we're kind of introduced to him in a dynamic with Dominica is. He rises up out of a pool at a set time, like he's got like a lap time and he has a routine that she's exploiting to insert herself into, you know, she sees the kind of women that he's with, uh, she knows he likes blondes, she colors herself, and she inserts herself into his life there, but he's presented coming out of the pool and he's in like, you know, a speedo and he's not like this rippled wax dolphin, like, you know, you're Daniel Craig <laughs> Waxed and it Dolph. just makes him look kind of a little, it just makes him look a little bit dumpy. Dumpy? And that Are kind, you fucking serious? And that kind of the dude is coming out of the water. He's wet. He's Stop. Like a little Stop. like it doesn't. Okay, you know what? Fine, go ahead. You make the case for how fucking sexy Joel Edgerton is. Go ahead. I think
2: he's hot. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there. I think he's hot. He's he could get it. He could get it. I don't know what's going on with you calling him dumpy. Like, dude, what? <laughs>
1: I mean, okay, so, okay, so two things, two things. One, uh, in contrast with Dominica, Dominica is a ballerina. She's presented in this very, first of all, in this very elegant fashion to begin with, and her body is very much on display for much of the film. Yeah, It's, it's a, a central thesis, not, a, it's a central component of the film. And where in many other films, he is not, Especially in contrast with other spy films, uh, with other aspects, and like yeah, maybe this is some kind of play on how we view you know male beauty in cinema. But he is not you know like Michael B. Jordan hot. He is not like went to the gym for six months to prepare for a role hot. Is he a pretty guy? Yeah, like, but in the not context supposed of that, to be me-
2: like rowing a Spartan warship or something like that, and. This is such a weird conversation to
0: get into with this movie. That's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. Also, uh, Doc, you're literally Bill Camp's character, Marty Gable, right now, (laughs) who is constantly throughout the movie making fun of him because he can't, like, she's out of his league. You're Bill Camp right now, Doc. Yes, I, yep. I'm okay with that. Where was I going with this? Like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Oh, right, I was, I came up. No, I've, I've lost the thread. I've lost the good, thread. Good, good. Because there, there, there was a point I was getting <laughs> so to about how Joel Egerton wasn't hot in this, and I'd forgotten what that point and is. And
2: I derailed that. Shut that shit down. Good God. <laughs> Well, that was I, going I, nowhere. I genuinely,
1: I genuinely don't know what I was going to say about him not
0: being. On I the don't
2: night. know Thanks, either. Annie. Again, I I find it perplexing.
0: I, I I also don't know. Okay, John, did you think Joel Ledgerton was hot as <laughs> Nate Nash? I don't have like that's not something I think about. I don't think about who's hot or not. You know that, dude. That's fair. I li- that's fair. I live that asexual life. <laughs>
2: that's fair that's a thing
1: okay so annie let's talk about your hot martyr for a second oh God.
2: you're so cruel
1: oh yeah this movie is cruel this is, this is what we live this in. this is this is the world we're... this movie
2: is cruel and um i'm glad that you bring up martyrdom and joel edgerton because this is actually one of my main critiques of this movie um so this is propaganda essentially right
0: Like, this
2: is propaganda. Um, The Americans are presented not necessarily as, you know, like, purely good, but they are presented at times in a kind of, like, comic light or at other times as kind of, like, incompetent or or witty. Um, We're not really shown the side of american espionage that we know to be there like we know that people get black bagged we know the stuff that happens at guantanamo bay we know bad things happen
0: we're not shown the american equivalent of the sparrow program which they definitely oh um, yeah
2: yeah um and in...
0: i think you'll find it's called hollywood <laughs> <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> oh. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You can't
1: fire me. This is my house, John. <laughs> I'm firing you. <laughs> so. Next week on the movie morgue with John Donahue and Annie Neller.
2: <laughs> Sylvio's in the doghouse. Um, so.
0: Sylvio goes to the base. Yeah.
2: <laughs> God. So mean. So instead, what we get is. Um, the character of Nate Nash, which, first of all, is the most American name that I've ever heard. And second of all, what we get is a scene of torture in which a, uh, your favorite Stieg dude is literally flaying, um, him alive, which I personally, as I was watching this, I was like, oh my God. Okay. So they've chosen a, literally a medieval form of torture right? Which that's the main way. I don't know if you guys have heard of too many cases of people being flayed in the contemporary world. But um, so it's kind of like this direct allusion to medieval forms of torture, which is a way of constructing Russians as medieval, right? And Americans as not. And so what results in that scene is we get a scene in which Joel Edgerton's character is effectively being presented almost kind of in the same fashion that we would see a Christian martyr. A lot of Christian martyrs were flayed alive. And that's not necessarily something that we can completely disconnect from this. So he's literally being presented as a kind of martyr. He's also presented as a kind of romanticized hero, right? He's a romantic to a certain extent. What do you guys think of this? Like, am I just out there in the far like far afield
0: or no i i don't think so because he he jumps at any opportunity to martyr himself like he shoots that gun in the park at the start of the movie so the police will chase him and not his target he's about to shoot that section chief in the middle of heathrow airport until she waves him off this man is a murder looking for a cause and his cause is the cia which (laughs) sorry pal that's maybe not the best choice
2: no he's definitely he's like this galahad type figure where he tells her i would have killed those guys for you and there's something weird about this like what do you guys think this is doing like what is this film supposed to be doing for us
1: Okay, well, there's a couple of things, and like, one's gonna get into, like, probably, like, a deep and final cut, so I might not get into that just now. Okay. Um, but part of that is that he is, I think, a counter is out. He's a, very much a foil to Dominica, where Dominica has had the person hollowed out and filled with this void for power, and this kind of, like, master of the spy game. He's he's essentially a good person. He's presented as this kind of pure alternative of you know idealism and empathy and you know humanity, and that's attractive to us as an audience. And it's kind of a counterexample because we're not given America. We're not no. we're not shown America in the same capacity, no. but we are shown. And this kind of plays into this film, I think, as this weird post Cold War propaganda. But then again, you know, we lost the Cold War. Let's get yep. that right now. But you know this idea of Russia as this corrupt. Uh, bureaucratic plutocracy that's very much present in this. Uh there's you know corruption all over the place. There's this horrible dehumanizing sparrow school. There's this idea of loyalty to the state over individuality presented. And compare that with Edgerton who's like you know is like he's going with his gut and he like he you know, loves this lady and he's you know bright, bushy eyed and whatever. Bright, bushy tailed you know? I
2: think was what you were going for. <laughs>
1: Bushy-eyed, he's got bushy eyes. Fuck. He's got a <laughs> okay. bushy tail too. I'm keeping uh, okay,
2: that in the edit. I'm keeping it notes. in the edit. I
1: said it. <laughs> I am being usurped. I I am not owned. I am not owned. He says as he slowly oh. turns into a corn cob. Yeah, I was gonna say, Doc, why are you a corn cob now? <laughs> no, but. Um, oh god we keep losing threads today we do but he's perse- he, he, he's a, an alternative and ultimately he is chewed up and spit out by the system yep. and I think he's shown as being an unsuitable spy ultimately is he gets fucking played everyone around him is telling him you're in over your head she's playing you she's not a real person anymore she's a sparrow and he's like but she's pretty
0: and she looks at me with those goo goo eyes <laughs> I need someone to save so I can be the hero. Yep. And like no but I he he is I think the movie does like come down pretty hard on him not being a good spy.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Because, because one, everybody is playing him. Two, the SVR fucking has his number <laughs> the second he's on screen.
2: Which kind of, like, weirdly reinforces the idea that, you know, characters who are cold and calculating, who do use sex to manipulate people, those are good spies, right? James Bond is a good spy, despite the fact that they leave a trail of bodies and trauma in their wake. That sucks.
0: I think part of the thing... I think part of the thing this movie is doing is asking the question, do you want to be a good spy? And I think the answer it comes down on no. is no. <laughs> okay, no. so two things,
1: two things. Uh, one, there's a particular lyric I want to throw up here uh, from Man for All Seasons. Ugh. Loves him and leaves him alone. So alone, but safe at home. Oh, God. Uh, you know, playing up that thesis because <sighs> that popped into my head. Yeah. And second of all, uh, did we have... I think I'm just going to get on to my final point here because I think this is kind of very central to the yeah. show, is It's this presentation of corruption and power as being... I'm not quite sure how I want to put this because not any, I think, individual phrasing kind of works for this, but it's either symbiotic or two sides of the same coin that power and corruption, if not being the same thing, go hand in hand.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. So it's kind of like the Stanford prison experiment type thesis about power. If you give people power over others, corruption will result.
1: Well, it's also, it's a chicken and an egg question. Yeah. Because the question is, does corruption breed power or does power breed corruption? And I'm not sure. I'm really not sure in this film. It's I think one of those things where this film doesn't necessarily have a central thesis on this musing of mine, but it is exploring
0: that theme. I think it might be just presenting a power at both power and corruption as and like this relationship as endemic to the current state of geopolitics
2: i would have to agree with that 100 percent, especially with that scene with buying off the uh senator's aide yeah
0: yes
1: yeah because i mean there, there's a couple things about i want to talk about the
0: senator's aide for a second uh swan right uh she, i forget what her actual name is but i know her agent name is swan
1: okay um so a couple things one uh first of all she is corrupt. She has what little power she does have in that she is a senator's aide she has access to these secrets that she sells to the Russians. Okay? Um so she in 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 that aspect in what power she does have she is corrupt. But also she is corrupted. She is abused, she is exploited. And she is, I think, also portrayed in some ways as being kind of hapless and a bit of an innocent in this where uh, her sexuality is abused. She is seduced by – what was her name? Marta? Yeah. And also, like, the second that she gets the money and gets out, she's drunk, she's paranoid, and the police close on her, she is – bewildered and she is frightened and that's what gets her killed although it's also a hit so that's a little complicated i think that scene would have worked probably better if you didn't have you know like aha yes russian operation pulled off uh
0: i i didn't read that as a hit actually i don't think any of like i think what happened was because they do just straight up say that the cia moved er, moved on her too soon And she just walked into the middle of the street and got hit by a car. I don't think that truck was waiting at that intersection at like a red light, like a green light just stopped waiting for her to walk across the street. No, I think what happened Um, was I I, I see uh, that
1: now. Mm. But at that moment in the viewing, uh, the Americans presented as. Oh, she walked in front of a fucking truck. But I think there was also some slightly ambiguous stuff with the Russians about, like... No, you know they had
0: somebody watching
1: her. Yeah, yeah. they did. Which, which you know, you know it you're going It was just someone watching, but... W- again, like, we covered this in Atomic Block. I'm not as good at spy movies. <laughs> but
0: it was just, like, she is dead. Like Like, it was expected, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, so, I just realized we didn't talk about Marta getting tortured to death.
2: Oh, yes. Um, God.
0: That so was a whole thing. So
2: many people die and uh, just have these horrible things happen to them. Uh, and the fact that, um, so Marta's tortured and killed by um, the Stieg, who likes to, to flay people. And then he like s- sticks Jennifer Lawrence's face very close to the body and says, this is what a farmyard smells like. And it's just this horrible act of dehumanization. And I think that for me was kind of the moment where I realized, okay, this is a movie about the fact that if you are involved in this espionage game, there is no way that you don't get fucked. Um that is part and parcel of the process and by fucking i mean that very literally and i mean that as well as in its connotation of being screwed over by other people and manipulated as a result of where you sit within the power structure yeah that scene was something else. john did you have something specific about it
0: no, well, like I just wanted—I just realized that we hadn't talked about this, and like, also it's kind of a, like a, it's a whole thing that she's the only sparrow we see out in in the wild, I guess, and she just gets fucking tortured to death because uh, Dominica told her the told her how she got into a spy thing. But
2: I think that's why they're called yeah. sparrows. So, sparrows don't live long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well,
1: here's here's another thing, because this does kind of tie into what I was talking about is also the way that first of all, Dominica is completely corrupted by her situation. She becomes, I think, probably the best spy in the business just by virtue of being the most willing to compromise or discard any kind of morals, Um, because one thing is also power is corrupting and power in this film and in kind of the espionage world is information. And one thing that she does is she she plays out a lot of poison pills. Yeah. Um in particular because um Marta is killed because she uh gives the immediate supervisor the information on how Dominica got into the program. Uh presumably, you know, they they rat on her and it's shown like you know this is a warning of you know what will happen to you this information has to stay with you but also i don't think it's so much that it's a calculated move that she was like aha mart is gonna get killed for trying to spill this information on me but oh no that in trying to utilize the kind of power that this has there are always violent results yes there is always murder um in particular like an example of probably the only other kind of pure character in this film is much more of a background bit is the bank teller who is you know somewhat like seduced in by friendship, basically. he's yeah. like, "Oh please I have to help my, I have to help my family member. I have to open an account. can we do this at the bank? Can we do this at the cafe?" And ultimately, he is presented as basically a sheep, and he is an instrument in someone else's murder,
2: mm-hmm. Yep.
1: That's what it is. So when we look at power in this thing, you have those who have power and those who have ideals. And there is nothing else. In nothing else, uh, Jeremy Irons is also in this, which we haven't talked about at all. He's a Russian general of some sort, and he is the mole. But here's the thing ultimately when he reveals that he has some kind of ideology to dominica that you know that he has a cause that he's willing to die for and that she could take his place he reveals himself as a believer in something in that moment he is also surrendering power is you cannot be a spy you cannot be powerful in this international world of espionage without being a monster and the question is do monsters become powerful in this game or does becoming powerful in this game necessitate
0: becoming a monster
1: and i think it's kind of both
0: yeah i was gonna say i think the answer is yes
2: yeah (laughs) i have to agree man this movie Um, it's it's a trip this movie
0: one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that throughout the entire, like, the in- like every time we hear the Sparrows, like, internally discussed amongst themselves, they bring up this puzzle of need idea where, like, you're supposed to figure out what people want and then turn yourself into the missing piece and fit in there. Dominica kind of does the opposite, Like, she knows what she needs and finds ways to make people into what she needs them to be. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I can kind of see that, actually. Hmm.
0: Uh,
1: The other thing also, sorry, to go back to corruption for a second, because this was a point I brought up when I talked about this with Annie earlier, is also we're not presented with any honest... Power structures. Uh, In particular, the only example I think we really have outside of the spy industry uh, and the bank is the ballet company. And And that's very early in the film. And we're presented with a piece of doublespeak is... You know, I'm a patron of the arts. I can help you. If there's anything you need, please let me know. Yep. And yep. that's, you know, that on, on, God, on that a surface guy. level, that language is lovely. It's like, oh, hey, I can help out. Um, like, I'm a patron. Not I'm if nice you've person. been in the world of the let arts. Let me help you out.
2: That's coded language, Oh, yeah, man. I know.
1: Jeez. Oh, that is absolutely coded language. And ultimately it comes back to where we explore that and we say, yeah, no, this guy is just taking advantage of women who are basically have no power over him is we are never given an example of honest power. If we look at Nate Nash, Nate Nash is kind of powerless and kind of a shitty spy. Like, he is taken off assignment, and it's through, like, repeated begging, and it's only when every other option has been exhausted that he's even allowed back on this assignment.
2: Right, and then ultimately uh, he kind of fails, too, in the end, too. Pretty damn hard. So... yeah. Yeah.
1: And at the end, I think, you know, he, he it's him playing the music for her over the phone, so ultimately he's, I think, the ending scene kind of displays him as being a sucker, like, as him being taken in by her. So... it It
2: could, I mean, I feel like there's still a tiny bit of ambiguity here, too, like... That's one of the weird things about this ending is yeah, that's certainly possible that he has been fully suckered in, but also it's possible that she feels a little bit of something for him. I'm I'm not sure. I think
0: I I kind of feel it's more of he, right now he is the best way to like hurt the system. Okay. That hurt okay. her. Okay. Because, I like, she, in a lot of ways, what she does to her uncle, which is set him up as the mole, and which was actually, like, I didn't, like, see the exact mechanics of it until the last moment, yep. but that was, it was a good, it was a good bit of tradecraft. I liked it a lot. Um, and, like, setting up this specific person who had, in a lot of ways, Organized her most recent set of miseries, yeah. and then putting herself in a position to inflict more harm on the system that had put him in power, yeah. as well as leaving the actual mole in place.
2: Hmm. Yep.
0: Yep. Like she's she's a rarin to go. She's she's a, like. I don't know what happens in the later books, but, like, she is going to do some damage to the SVR. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think what we have at the end of the movie is kind of interesting because it's something we don't see for the, the entire runtime of the movie. Is Dominica on her own? Because at the end of the film... She is in a position of power. She is favored by the party. She is, you know, receiving her award. She's, you know, done the service. She, she is free from under the thumb of her uncle. And, you know, Nash is no longer sniffing around where she is. So we've never seen her in this context in the film. We've never seen her given free choice and agency. And where she goes with that is kind of left to our imagination and left to sequels, which... Let's be honest, I don't think we're going to get any sequels to this film. I I'm, I'm, might read the books. This seems interesting. But presented as a standalone film, that uh, where she's going to go with this is just all horrible potential because we've demonstrated, I think, throughout this film that she is cold-blooded and she is, power-hung- she is power-hungry. Uh, a lot of what she's done throughout this film has been out of revenge or in pursuit of revenge. And she has gone through extraordinary depths to get there because she could have played it straight. I don't think she had to go through a lot of the torture that she did, but she could have just not been a double agent, or I guess triple agent. I think she is in this. It's
2: it's hard to tell. That's she, part of the ambiguity. Is is she a triple agent? I. It kind of seems like she is by the end of the film, but there's.
0: I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I would call her a triple agent because I think that, but like she's, or even a double Because she's, like, first of all, I, I'm i gonna make the case that she's only ever been on one side, and that's her side. Yeah, it's, it's about It's just that she's never, like, she spends the entire movie gathering the leverage and the power she needs to make her side a thing.
2: Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it, John.
0: Yeah. Because, yeah. like, and I, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's just out of revenge, because in a way she has literally been taken apart by this system, and I, it, it, I. There's another way of seeing it as, I'm not. That's not going to happen again. Yeah,
2: she knows how the system works, so she can use it to her benefit, which is sort of what I got by the end of the film. And I mean, I think the thing is, too, that, like, with Jeremy Irons being the mole, the kinds of stuff that he had to sit by and sanction and allow to pass, the stuff with the sparrows, um, even some of the earlier stuff that they were watching before uh, with her interaction with that guy that turns into rape, like, the kinds of things that he had to sit through and allow to happen make him monstrous. She will. She at by the but, end of this film, she is monstrous, and she will participate in monstrous acts to protect herself, um, and and to construct. I mean, Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Sorry, uh, I was I was just gonna say that even Jeremy Irons, it's not the monstrosity of these acts that turn him against the his country. It's the fact that he pissed off a bureaucrat that let his wife die. Yeah. Like it it it's nothing to him that all of this happens
2: oh yeah no he, it's
1: about his wife he
0: doesn't care it it's about the system has hurt mm-hmm. me i will now hurt it back
1: yeah so there's there's two things i'm thinking about right now uh one so i think a way to kind of put it to words is i think dominica's first act of violence is in revenge in the in the ballet hall that is an act of basically pure revenge. She has no way of accessing that old life. And she really stands... in. If anything, it's a terrible risk that she takes for that. Because the criminal charges on that would be pretty bad. But uh, second, the second act that she does is to get out from under uh, her uncle's he- hands. Get out from under his thumb to revenge... In a way, it is to revenge herself for the sub for the dehumanization and the kind of subjugation of the sparrow school that he put her into and is pretty explicitly like, yeah, he, he chose to do this. And
2: he's also a freaking pedophile but, too, so
1: Oh. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Let's yeah. let's not get too into that. No,
2: though. we're not. Yeah. No thank like, you.
0: But but, mm, but of more... the I was just gonna say of the people presented, I like I I feel like he's probably a little less monstrous than the matron, but that
1: not like, by much. that could go not either by way much, yeah. yeah not
0: not by a comfortable amount,
1: yeah, um however, uh ultimately, I think you can look at her elimination of him as a matter of security, because one of the things that is said in this is you know they will always own you unless you have something of value, even if you bring something of value, you will still be owned until you are no longer useful and are discarded, so i I think very much it's as much for security as it is for revenge. And when we look at her at the end of the film, we don't have a engaged drive of security or revenge that is in effect, that is in play. So we've never seen her in this kind of unbidden state. And that it's that ambiguity that I think makes the ending kind of uneasy and kind of like a frightening and terrible future.
0: Yeah, it's... It- it's really easy to see a future. In fact, it's trivial. Like there is no good ending for her. Like there is no ending where she reforms the SVR into like an upstanding organization that protects democratic principles because I don't think she gives a fuck about any of them. No,
2: I mean, she's not Katniss Everdeen anymore. Right. Um, And I think one of the other things, too, that was so heartbreaking for me about the ending of this film is that that inevitability, John, that feeling that you were describing about there being no good ending for her, there is no reform here, I see that as being kind of like a broader metaphor for um, kind of like the new version of the Cold War. It's basically just an unending information war in which... Um, people in these positions of having low access to power get destroyed um, and then rendered into something else potentially, potentially made monstrous or just absolutely killed and
0: Oh god, you know what just Yeah, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, you know what just hit me There is a huge juxtaposition because she explains that that song was the song that like was her first solo in ballet for, yeah. her. And the juxtaposition between that and what she has become at the end of the film. Yeah. That's a lot. That like I hadn't thought of that before and just struck me in the moment right now. She this is also now that you mentioned the first
1: solo thing, this is also kind of her first solo as a spy. She's not yep. on an assignment. She's not under a particular figure of authority or power is she is a free agent, I think, at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. And that song was... A
1: free agent within Russia, within the Russian apparatus, right. but a free agent nonetheless.
2: And that song for her was also preparatory too, right? She says that that is the song that she listened to to calm herself down before she went on stage for the next act. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's an anticipation of things to come. yeah. And I want to call back to one last thought, and I know I said the last was the last thought. There's so much. <laughs> but there's always in this another movie. last yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to Jennifer Lawrence for a moment because we've been talking in terms of Dominica a little bit. Uh, because we did talk about the fapping, we did talk about the absolute crazy amount of nudity in this film and sexuality, and this kind of meditation on sexual violence and like systemic sexual violence. Uh, But part of this is I think what is really interesting and this is ascribing a lot to Jennifer Lawrence and this is all from my perspective and it's not something that I think people should really take as gospel. Definitely do not take this as fucking gospel, please, please. But it's a formulation I think that makes this film interesting. It's a lens through which I think it is uh, kind of informative to view this movie is it is a retaking of power in a way and it's kind of a almost destructive or ablative kind of way of doing it because one thing is we are presented with jennifer lawrence in i think every sexual context you can imagine here uh we are presented her as the ballerina we are presented to her as a rape victim we are presented we are presented her as basically a dominatrix or like you know almost like cuckoldish was like you know you what you want is someone to laugh at your tiny dick it, we, we, we're given so much of her and c- contrast this to you know this idea of the happening where it's a violation it's pr- pictures taken in privacy disseminated widely across the net it's a violation and i think this is a kind of a point of saturation because when you look at one one of the thoughts i had is this is a movie that's going to do very well on dvd because you got to have all the perverts going and you know here cuz there are all entire forums on the internet about like you know whose tits show up in what uh, movie and where you can catch them and so it. on but mr Skid. exactly Damn. but this is saturation this is i think in a way devaluing her nudity and her sexuality as a filmic object because we've just been given a buffet we've been given everything we've had her like fucking in water bondage you know there's what else can you look at jennifer lawrence and say i want to see that out of her as, as out, outside of just straight up porn like hardcore pornography There's not much left that, you know, the average filmic creep can look for. And it's kind of a fear, like almost a pyrrhic victory or like, like I said, destructive or ablative. But in a way, in making this film, in presenting this kind of raw, uncomfortable product and to have that. Discomfort associated with it. This is not a movie you're going to watch and jack off to. This exactly. is a movie you're going to feel very bad about your boner for. Exactly. So in a way, it's, it's almost spiteful. And I
2: totally agree with that. Yeah. I totally agree. That was sort of one of the things that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Is the fact that most of these sexual situations that she is in in this movie make you feel bad. Um, and I think that is very purposeful. And I could, I could certainly see her taking this part for that. And she has made statements um, in the press for this movie stating that she felt like she was able to gain some form of sexual agency from this movie to take, to take something back for herself. And I don't want to paint this movie as um, some kind of treatise on like feminist sexual agency because it is not that. And anyone who is claiming that has not seen this movie. Um, but it does seem like she has been able to do something for herself in, in terms of the way that she presents her body as an artist um, that was kind of stripped away from her when the fapping happened.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and that's kind of part of something I mentioned earlier is we have to, when we're looking at this film, it's kind of difficult to talk about it as both a film and as a filmmaking process. Because I think looking at it as a text is somewhat problematic and very like disturbing. But looking at the metatextual context for it, it's very interesting. It's very much, I think, kind of and i'm going to get flack for this probably but it reminds me of some dynamics of like you know submissive submissive play in bdsm context where it's like yeah if someone actually did this to you it would be the most fucked up thing but by choosing to participate and making theater of it to a certain degree you are controlling the dynamic and it is while not necessarily clean or wholesome it's it's empowering in a very strange kind of way and I think this is kind of that for Jennifer Lawrence. At least that's how I'm viewing it through this film. Because this film is a vehicle for her. All the marketing is her. She is full face in the poster. There is other talent in this movie, but this is this is as much Jennifer Lawrence's film, I think, as it is uh, Francis Lawrence's film.
2: Yeah. Very much so. Oh,
1: God. They're both named Lawrence. Yeah. How did I not put that together <laughs> until just
2: now? Oh, just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: well that's the conclusion doc's an idiot <laughs> uh yes well, apparently
2: as we learned earlier
0: i mean again you're you're friends with me doc you invited me on this podcast on purpose several times
2: <laughs> and your taste yeah. in men is just lacking good grief
1: <sighs> are, we, are we really gonna get into this? <laughs> let's just <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh I've been Silvio Emery. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Double DocMD.
2: And I've been Annie Neller. And you all can always find me on Instagram at, at Lights and Music. And on Twitter. And on Twitter now. Thanks for reminding them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no, Twitter. Yeah. I'm going to get tweeted. Uh, and I will continue to be john donahue in the future and i will be ferreting out ancient limestone in this joke about an ongoing storyline that this podcast definitely doesn't have <laughs> i might remember this on the next episode i'm on
2: possibly
1: anyways uh if you like what we do please you know leave us a review on itunes share this on social media tell your friends and family seriously badger them it's like yeah these these fucking dorks um thanks again as always to our patrons. Uh, you guys are great, and uh, we can't do this without—we couldn't do this without you. So uh, we'll see you guys all next week. Our uh, our intro music, as always, has been "Trouble" by uh, Ipsy You can find a link to their EP of the same name in the show notes. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye bye.
2: Bye.
0: I'm waving. You can't tell because this is an audio video. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye.